the Cubs Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Elise Meneker, joined by Marquee Sports Network multimedia producer, Lance Brozdowski. Lance, I'm also going to say you're like our minor league guru. And don't forget, this Cubs Weekly Podcast is presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner, the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And Lance, we're doing a very fun episode today. We're going to just kind of recap the minor league season by unveiling storylines that I've come up with a few, you've come up with a few, but we have no idea. I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what I'm saying. I'm very excited. Yeah. It's kind of like, we're, we're thinking a little bit of almost like a draft format, I guess, where we go back and forth and we don't know, maybe there's some overlap. I'm actually interested to see. I feel like we've talked enough where maybe some of the themes between us are both in our heads when we were coming up with these. So yeah. I'm interested to see what you've chosen. I'm, I'm excited to also tell you mine. Yeah, for sure. You and I have talked throughout the season about a lot of minor league stuff. And so I'm curious too. And then I feel like you're going to say something. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're just going to get this started. I'll start with my first storyline, uh, minor league storyline, which is Brennan Davis and just his call up to AAA and basically raking the moment he got there. So this is someone who this season really played at three levels, ending up with Iowa. And I looked at every level, hit above 250, um, 19 home runs on the season, 267 batting average. But specifically when I talk about Iowa, so his first two at bats, home runs. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, that was insane. <laughs> what more can you ask for? He hasn't hit in all but two games he's played in. So he's played in a 14 hits total in those 11 games. So that that's my first one. I, fi- I figure I had to yeah. start with that. I totally get that. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I figured you might take Brennan <laughs> Davis. So what I did, I'll go with my third one that I was going to take third, but I'll do it okay. now. Or actually, we could just react to Brennan Davis a little bit. I think that, you know, the really interesting thing with him is that it's a, it's a real interesting balance of his skill sets, like really good defender, good base runner, really good approach in the zone, really good ability to make contact consistently, consistently hard. And it's, it's exceptional because I, I think he's about a top 20 prospect, almost consensus on a variety of the, the major outlets, baseball, um, America, MLB Pipeline, a lot of people that do kind of team like aggregate ranks of all the top prospects. And I think that he's on there because of the diversity of the skill set and everything that he does well, yet there's not like an outstanding tool. Like some of the top, top prospects have like, like uh, Adley Rushman is a catcher with like insane power from both sides of the plate as a switch hitter. Like he's fascinating player. And then Brendan Davis is like this kind of blend of everything. He does really, really well. There's no standout tool. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what he becomes as a prospect, I guess, is where I'm going with this, where I almost think that he has the ceiling to be one of the top prospects in baseball. If he's not kind of already top 20, as everyone uh, believes on the consensus side, but I want to see whether we see him hit for more power or whether it becomes like an OBP machine. Cause I think there's, the more likely outcome, in my opinion, is that he's so mature at the plate and understanding of what he does and has a really good approach in the zone that I want to see him polish up, not drive all that down and maintain like 25 homer power. I don't necessarily know if I see him hitting like 35 home runs consistently. But again, there's multiple ways to being an incredibly valuable player. We look at like a Juan Soto where his approach in the zone is incredible, you know, but he's not going to hit 45 home runs a year. You know, Joey Gallo, the complete opposite. He's going to hit 45 plus home runs a year, but he has, he's going to bat below 200, you know? So I'm, I'm really interested to see the development Brendan Davis long-term in terms of where he gets to. But my one that I will draft here is looking a little bit ahead of Brendan Davis. It's who will be the next number one in the system. Ooh, we ranked, I like that. Yeah, when we ranked prospects early on, um, 
I, I thought from the jump that Brendan Davis was the number one. I didn't, I didn't really see the case for Braylon Marquez, especially with the injuries and especially with the reliever risk. Just my opinion. I still think Marquez is a great prospect, but I was pretty consensus on Brendan Davis, number one. The assumption is that next year, at some point, he will kind of graduate. There's an at-bat threshold you run through where you no longer consider a prospect. Yeah. And I'm really interested to see who kind of the industry thinks will be the next one up and who also we as a site, as I do the, the prospect rankings that I pull from Tony and Andy and probably will pull from you actually some, some insights for the next couple of ones. <laughs> and, uh, I'm really interested to see. So I came up with three players that I think could jump into the number one. Okay. Pete Cor Armstrong, who went down sure. with a shoulder injury, hasn't played the entirety of this season. He's the number two on our list right now, on my list right now. Um, it's a pretty obvious one to jump. So I, I don't think there's too much shock there. You just take Brandon Davis off and move everybody else up. But the two others that I think have a shot that are much more interesting is Christian Hernandez is the one shortstop international signee. There's he's one that I don't think anyone I've talked to has really gotten a look at mainly because I don't have really good international sources. So he's a guy that everyone thinks there's a possibility. He stays at shortstop and hits for power and hits for contact and turns into like an elite top prospect but the problem is we haven't really seen him stateside I believe that he's coming stateside for instructs which will be really good because I have some good Arizona sources so we'll be able to connect and kind of see what they think of him but he's got a shot I think to shoot up I think there's a lot of variability in where people place him I had him I think seven or eight I've seen him as low as like 12 and I've seen him as high as like two so it's really just kind of like everyone's hedging against what can actually be the outcome of his profile and then the last the third guy I picked is uh Kevin Alcantara I think is another one who Played really well in the Arizona Complex League this year. Really good slug. He's a bit of like an odd body guy where he's like 6'6", really thin. Everyone thinks he could add weight. And I, he's another one where I think there's, a, there's kind of this, this ideal kind of utopian zone, so to speak, where he can end up hitting for power, hitting for contact, and having a good approach and playing a good outfield position, whether it be corner or center. Probably moves off center field. I think that a guy like Pico Armstrong has a better chance of staying in center. So... That's really an interesting storyline because everyone knows Brendan Davis is the number one prospect, but going forward, who will be the number one prospect after he graduates? And we have the offseason to see. We have next year early to see, too, maybe in spring training and stuff. So I don't know if you have a hunch on who you think might jump into the number one spot after Brendan Davis, but I'd be interested to hear. I think given their situations now and where they are on the Cubs prospect list, I don't really think you can go wrong with any of those choices. Um, It's interesting because both of those guys, uh, well, Christian Hernandez it's always, he gets the A-Rod comp. Yeah, so to me, that's what always sticks out about him is his size and potential. And like you said, we don't really know a ton about him relative to the other prospects. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting then about the other two is they came over in trades. Exactly. So yeah. that's kind of then when we had our prospect list prior to the trade deadline, it pushed down some guys for reasons like this, because they were such good players, not just in their former team's uh, prospect, uh, you know, system, but now also in the Cubs. So Absolutely. the one, when you say that, cause I, I love this idea of like, who could be the, the next top prospect. Mm-hmm. I am very intrigued by Jordan Wicks, maybe because mm-hmm. I met him and I know that you've talked to a lot yeah. of these prospects. Um, but there's something about him and his maturity. Um, I know it's still like early for him, but I feel like his potential um, is very high. So for yeah. some reason, that name always comes to mind when I look at the future and someone who I think will be very interesting to see like how they pan out. And I feel like he's going to grow pretty quickly. 
So, um, without having like the list in front of me, cause I do feel like you're going to kind of go off of, you know, the list that you have yeah. right now and how it's going to shuffle around. That's the name. I think right now he's like top five or maybe six in the country. Yeah, I think out of three. Oh, well, four is three? super high. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought it was like, there's a super high probability ends up as a starter. And okay. I think there's very low reliever risk. It's really hard to put a guy like that outside the top six or seven in a season. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, that's I, a great I, one. Yeah. Okay. I think he's even gone up over the season and all of this stuff. Cause yeah. I, but they jumped yeah. into South Bend too, right out of, right out of yes, Kansas state exactly. for uh, an right, year or two, right. I think. So that's like a huge, like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he starts next year at Tennessee or South Bend yeah. to Tennessee. Yeah. And I can see that too. He's late 2023 call up. I wouldn't be shocked at all. That's yeah. So for some reason, that's just the name that as you were talking, I'm, he was just the name that comes to mind. Yeah. I like so, it. For then, let me see because you switched yours around. Maybe know, because we were just talking. <laughs> no, but but because we were just talking pitching. Sure. Although, like this, I didn't really have a this like order, but I'm gonna say just the pitching battle for the last few starter spots. And I like mm-hmm. I'm relating that to the minor leagues because you had guys who were stretched out or started in the minors, or maybe guys who are currently in the minors who could take over a starting spot in the Cubs rotation. So obviously, specifically, I'm thinking of Keegan Thompson, Justin mm-hmm. Steele, and then someone else I'm looking at is Corey Abbott, who right now yeah. is with Iowa. And he's had a really, really good last few outings. Um, he's gone 4-0 in that stretch, or I should say in September, he's had a 1-9-0 ERA in that four-game stretch. I think it's been like a, a 2-2-5 or something ERA. Like So he's looked really good as of late. Yeah. And um, that's just something that I find interesting because these are guys who all spent time down in Iowa as they stretched out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pretty still new in how they could look moving forward. So going kind of off the wicks, talking pitching, um, that's kind of how just, I see things, you know, an interesting storyline. Yes. For the Cubs, but also how it pans out in the minors and who develops. No, that's, it's a great point. I think that the stretching out of guys, something that relates a little bit to what the brewers have done really successfully sure. with Aaron Ashby now, who's kind of this in between guy who I, I, I really like. And he got, it's funny because his first start against the Cubs, he got absolutely destroyed, but now he's kind of like this fun breakout for 2022. Everyone's talking about, but and like Justin Steele as well is another one stretched out who I really like the, the slider on him. I think that a lot of the metrics like the slider as well. Um, I'd be interested to see if that usage goes up on that pitch and Kiki Thompson, a little bit more cutter curve, really good cutter again on the stuff metrics. So there's clearly something going on in the lab down there where they're able to highlight certain pitches that they believe will be more successful against major league hitters. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they'll both those guys are really interesting. I'd be interested to see whether anything in the off season happens with their pitch mix or they come into next year thinking about approaching things differently because yeah. I wonder, because like, if you look at some of the indicators, like, you know, how much, how much they miss bats, how much they walk guys, I think both of them are kind of around average, but I would say that it's average with the variability to end up plus, you know, to end up in the scenario where they're legitimate four or five starters. So I think my bet would be on Justin Steele. I don't know what it is about the left-handed starter, yeah, but I, think- I really like the slider from that slot. And I think it's yeah. deceptive. Even if King Thompson's, I believe we're recording this on 20th of September, I think his last down he had like seven K's through three, which was like, yeah, seven K's through three. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that was a really good outing. So that kind of made me, I, I was actually at that game and it kind of made me go, Oh, maybe I'm wrong on steel. Hey, maybe it's Keegan, but no, <laughs> no, you got to stick with your guy. I know, no, I know, but I, I know. I'm with you on the left. I think the lefty part for me is probably yeah. the biggest differential. Um, but I think then to the spring train or leading up to spring training, how they work in the off season, I think that's going to be huge because how they go into spring training, I think pretty much will 
decide where they're at and what they could do. Yeah, that's to- it's totally, totally fair. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens to both of them. I'll stick with a pitching one here on my okay. end. A um, little bit more macro sense, I would say, but I, I called, I named it this one, uh, sea change in the pitching prospect pedigree. That's a lot of a little P's there. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Writing it down. But I, I, I want to talk about this from the perspective of, I think a lot of the top arms in the system right now are sinker based. And I think the macro theme in baseball for modern pitcher, what we think of as a modern pitcher is one with a forcing fastball, good amount of carry or rod, whatever you want to call it, um, which means the vertical movement on the pitch thinks it's dropping less than it actually does. So it kind of has that rise effect. You call it up in the zone, especially when it's targeted up a zone, it's more effective, those pitches. So that's kind of the modern approach to pitching. We've seen that in organizations like the Reds. They heavily value that in their bullpen. We've seen that um, a bunch of times this year. Um, Dodgers love velocity, love vertical movement. A lot of these more advanced teams are really in on that. And some of the top power aspects in the Cubs system on the pitching side, I think of Ryan Jensen specifically. Brother Marquez throws a forcing fastball, but the movement profile profile is more like a sinker to me. Killian, Caleb Killian acquired in the Chris Bryant trade. And Jordan Wicks are all sinker guys. And I think all those prospects are at a level in the Cubs system where they're kind of viewed above the next tier. And the next tier, in my opinion, is more based on four seamers, more based on the uh, Anderson Espinosa was acquired for Jake Marisnik from the Padres. Daniel Palencia, who's a little bit under the radar, but I really like his stuff. He's in Myrtle Beach, five innings, seven Ks in his last start there. So he really kind of rounded into form, acquired from uh, the uh, Oakland Athletics and the Andrew Chafin trade. And then Michael McAveen, who I don't think we've seen this year at any level, but he was down with an injury. Um, he's another forcing guy with really good ride on that pitch. And I almost wonder whether there's a little bit of a sea change coming where, you know, we view Jensen and all these other guys as kind of the top pitching prospects, but I'm interested to see if a guy like Kurz jumps up to South Bend's pitch really well, I believe at the end of the season upon that promotion. Um, I, I want to see these guys almost step up to some extent and make it much more interesting between the sinker group and this four-seamer group where you have the four-seamer group mixed in, whether that be because people think that they conform to the mold of what a modern pitcher looks like such that we think they might be better, or maybe the sinker guys jump ahead. Like Ryan Jensen, I think, is like what we call like a turbo sinker because he throws it really hard. Marquez, I think there's a lot of reliever risk there. Killian is a strike zone pounder. And we haven't really seen too much of Wicks, but he's sinker change. So I, I, I'm interested just in whether, I, I guess this is almost positively looking forward at the Cubs pitching development and wondering whether, you know, we have a mix of the two. I think the most likely scenario, unfortunately, is the cop-out answer is that there's a, probably a couple from each group that pop and that end up being really good. And then you have a good mix in the rotation of a couple guys with sinkers, a couple guys with good forcing fastballs. I think that's more likely. But I guess the whole theme here in, in drafting this slot, the sea change, is just these forcing guys I think might have a little bit more of a chance to uptrend. Mm-hmm. As maybe we see these other guys get to upper levels in the minors, look at the repertoire and go, oh, okay – you know, this sinker is not something that necessarily is playing particularly well against a lot of guys with, with big vertical proteins in their swings, such that, you know, the wisdoms of the world where you, you generate a ton of power on pitches middle and middle down. So I think these four seamer guys might have a little more success going forward. And I think it just, there's going to be more of a debate between them and Breslow too. I think that this is something I heard and Jed Hoyer mentioned in, in one of his recent interviews, you know, Hired in 2019 in January, had one year to kind of get acclimated. Heading into 2020, runs into COVID, has to kind of scrap everything. And this was kind of his first true season outside of that first year in 2019, where he's able to kind of implement some of the plans that I imagine that he has in a macro sense of trying to strategically alter how the Cubs develop pitching. And, you know, a lot of the problems with change is that there's sometimes a little bit gradual in the minor leagues. So I wonder whether we head into next year and 
you know, Breslow's third year, technically, I'd almost call it maybe his true first year, though, with 2019 being his first first year, because maybe has a lot of acclimation going on. And then 2021 reacting more to COVID 2022. Like this might be the year that we see a lot of jumping forward with pitching prospects, particularly because of Breslow implementing plans, hiring more people, getting more people in the system that he knows and he trusts. Because I know he's always talked about the people being huge. The information now is widespread. Everyone has very comparable information. It's a matter of how they communicate it, I think is the huge differentiator between player development departments. So I just want to see these guys. I really like Hurge. We did a cool pitch grip segment with him. I think he's a really smart kid. Uh-huh. Anderson the Espinosa, Vulcan. Think, Does the Vulcan change. Yeah, the Vulcan right? change is really yeah. fun pitch. Yeah, Espinosa, I think, is incredibly underrated. I understand he had two Tommy John surgeries, but he's really good. Like, he, he, I've talked to scouts who basically say, like, you remove the two Tommy John surgeries and you understand why he's a top pitching prospect. He was once, like, a top 50 prospect in baseball. Palencia is incredibly under the radar. And McAveen's just not on the list because we haven't seen him. So those four guys are ones that I'm keeping my eye on heading into spring, and I think they're going to hop up and – battle with the Jensen's and the Killian's and the Marquez's of the world as being the top pitching prospects in the system. So I, I love that. And also going off of that, because I'm doing one of my minor league reports today and reminds me. So between, I'm going to say two names, but you're going to have to help me with a second. Cause I, I just can't come up with it right now, but sure. Scott Kobos. Um, and who is the player who um, lost like 70 pounds? Max Payne. Um, Yes. Yeah, Max Payne. Okay. So I'm thinking of those two because I feel like those are two pitchers in particular that I think about that have developed or will need to continue to develop a ton and have developed rather quickly. Um, But I'm thinking of it because when you bring up Breslow and just the Mm -hmm. pitching and the way it's developed over the last few years or like just maybe lack thereof in some Mm -hmm. people's eyes and, and how can the Cubs can, you know, be better about developing pitching. Um, Those two guys stick out to me because they deviate from the norm Mm -hmm. um, because they don't, they're not like like, okay, I brought up Wicks at the top. They're not, these guys are going to jump out at you. Um, And even Kobo started as an outfielder. Um, So this is someone who wasn't even a pitcher until like his senior year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same thing with Bain, just the way that he's changed himself yeah. and his game. It sticks out to me as you're talking about, well, the four seam guys rise above, say like the sinker guys, or could that mm-hmm. be the trend that we see? I also just think about the development of the pitchers in the minor league system oh, and right. who we could see kind of, you know, move in front of other guys who maybe we didn't even expect. Yeah, I love the Max Bain pull there. I was going to mention him as one of my honorable mentions because he's a great kid. And I love talking yeah. to him and stuff. And seems yeah, like he's, he's a great one. It's just, it it's yeah, he's likely to pop. Like he's got a really good understanding of his repertoire. He's a guy that would land in the forcing. If it was a forcing fastball with a ton of ride, really, really good slider. Like that's, that's the modern pitcher is like fastball, hard fastball, a lot of vertical movement, slider with a ton of horizontal movement. And then you figure out the rest. Like we've seen this, this, model emphasized by teams like Tampa Bay a ton Shane McClanahan came in Shane Boz like all these guys pop in and then because of what they're throwing because of the stuff and Uh I think we're just going to see more Cubs pitchers pop like that like it's just it's more likely it might take a little time sometimes it's a little bit behind the curve but like the Baines of the world and McAveen's and stuff I think they're really really intriguing to me I think that it's going to be really interesting between, you know, I, I, when we did the list earlier, I think we might've talked about this where you have the tier at the top where it's a bunch of really uh-huh. good players. And then 11 through like 35 is like a very similar tier, you know, and it's like, you have to cut it off somewhere if you're doing a top 20, so to speak, but 21 to 35 is equally as talented as 18, 19, in my opinion, it's just a matter of who you prefer. So we might get some more clarity on that. 
Yeah, I think overall, if we just summarize the pitching, it, it's exciting, I think, to see where it can go with the prospects and even the guys like that we talk about who maybe aren't on the top 20, they're names that you aren't typically hearing that I think could take steps and be yep. names that you do hear at some point. Because I, I think it's been exciting to see the development. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, all right, what am I going with next? So are we going to, should I do my... Is this going to be like our last one? I got another one that's uh, non-honorable mention. If okay, so here's what more. we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear a message from our sponsor, Wintrust. And after that, we're going to reveal our final topics. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. All right. I know I said our final storylines, our final draft picks were coming up. We're gonna have to wait a little longer to hear those because Lance, we were just talking about pitching, stretching guys out. Mm -hmm. And one guy who's had an interesting season, maybe not unforeseeable and how it's gone is Adbert Alzali. And yeah. as he's done great out of the bullpen, had good starts as a starter uh, and just what you've seen from him this season. Yeah. I think the Takeaway from me is that he's clearly too good to be in the bullpen. I think the slider is a really good pitch. Out of the pen. Yeah, it's, it's too good. Like you need, I think you need for him to actualize all his upside to get into back into that starter role and figure out, you know, how to get the home runs down. Which again, I think there was a little bit of variance there, just in terms of how many he was allowing. No one is allowing that many per per nine, so to speak, the homer per nine stat. But yeah, I mean, the slider was really good. The fastball was really good. I really like him. I know Sean Marshall, one of our analysts, always talks about that changeup. So maybe that's a pitch he works on this yeah. offseason, but. I've, I still like him a lot. He'd be one of the top yeah. prospects in the system if he's still qualified. Yeah, at times with the length he's giving out of the bullpen, you can certainly seem yeah. <laughs> like he's still a starter's coming in maybe in the second or exactly. third. Of course, we see what Adbert can do on the field, but Taylor McGregor sat down with him outside or off the field. And so let's get to know Adbert a little bit more. I guess we would be remiss if we didn't start by getting the story of how you two met. <laughs> so uh, we met uh, through a friend that used to play in the minors with us. Uh, she used to work as a nutritionist with uh, the Cubs in, in the complex in Arizona back in 2014, right? Mm -hmm. So, but we never like met over there, but uh, we started talking as a friend in 2016. That was when my friend introduced me to her. So we started talking as a friend that year and then um, uh, we just kept talking, talking, and in 2017, uh, we started dating. As most of you already know, his personality, that's how we became friends. I remember when he came over, we would watch movies, and I would laugh so hard that my stomach would hurt, and my brother would be like, calm down, relax. <laughs> but, it, you know, it was just there. The connection was there, so we were friends. Obviously, distance, because I think that year he was in South Bend, but, like, we always like talk to each other, you know, like if he had a good day or like I would always know or I would tell him about my day. And like, I guess that friendship is what got us to a really good place when we were dating, like we were friends before. So. David Ross singing the praises of his budding superstar, Albert Alzali. Another strong showing. Another strong showing. He's continued to blossom. Will you describe what you feel like she's really done to help take your game to the next level? It's the support that you need when you come off the field and you get home, you know, like I feel that she's she's there for me all the time that I need her in those moments, you know, like doesn't matter if 
it was a good or a bad day for me, I know that I can come home and she's gonna be there for me on those moments. Diana, how have you seen Adbert grow since the two of you met? Oh my gosh, so much. Like, I remember in, yeah, in 16, we were just, you know, kids having fun and now it's like our whole life is like, we're really adulting. <laughs> <laughs> Babe, what do you want? Opo taco. That's not real. That's real. Um, Opo taco? <laughs> Let's go back to your early life though, Adbert, growing up in Venezuela. Will you just describe what it was like as a baseball player growing up? Uh, over there, uh, in those moments, everything was fun for me, you know, like uh, my, my grandfather was the first one that took me to a baseball field when I was uh, five years old. And I feel that after that moment, I just fell in love with baseball. My dad used to be one of the coaches for the team that I used to play for. Um, it was it, it was a fun ride to me growing up playing baseball back home in Venezuela. You know, I feel I remember the games will be at 8:30 a.m. every Saturday. So I remember sometimes I will sleep with my uniform on. You know, just to be to to be ready to go to the field the next day. When did you know you were going to be able to play professional baseball? I think uh, I started to figure it out uh, when I was. 16 years old, my dad saying as my mom, they they always uh, let me know from the beginning, like if you want to be a, a professional baseball player, we need you to finish at least high school because we, we won't let you go and, and go pro without, you know, having something. That, that was my goal. So and then after I I gave uh, the degree to my dad, I was like, now I'm, I can go pro. <laughs> What sort of impact do you feel like that's had on your career, the fact that your dad made you finish your education? I mean, a huge impact, you know, because like I really wasn't as troubling when I got here because I kind of knew how to make a, a, a conversation with someone else because it's cool. They made me take English class over there back home in Venezuela. The information that I got from school really helped me when I uh, came over here to the United States. father and grandfather who had a huge impact on your professional career I've never gotten to see you pitch here in person in the big leagues how hard is that for you uh, it's really hard because it's at the end of the day it's your family you know so like you always uh, want to have them there but I at the same time uh, you understand the situation like you know like what is going on and then I know that even though they're far away from me right now, they're there with me every moment. And Diana, you've never gotten to meet his family either. So how challenging has that been for you? Um, it's more hard because I put myself in his shoes and like what that would be like if I didn't have my family during my big moments. I try to communicate as much as I can, like anything that's big in his life when it comes to baseball. I film it, I take pictures, like I try and communicate as much as possible with them so they can, even though they're not here, they can have the experience like as live as possible. One of the things that's interesting about being a professional athlete is they only really see what's on the field, but you've gotten to see all the behind the scenes of what he's been through in his career to get to this point. What has stood out to you the most about how challenging it's been for him to get to this point? Definitely not having his family here because like imagine you living the dream that you've always worked for 
but the people that you love the most that have supported you since day one have yet to see it in person you know so just like I have tried to be there in every way I can and my family has kind of taken on that role of like his debut anything big they want to be here so that way he feels like he has a lot of people around him so he doesn't feel alone but like I couldn't imagine like traveling to a different country not knowing anybody there and like trying to just be very mentally strong because there's there's moments that it's very hard you know like when you don't have a good game and then you come home and then you realize like your family's not here and there's stuff going on in a different country it's like it takes a lot do you have plans of one day having your dad come and watch you pitch at Wrigley? Oh no, definitely. We're working on it right now. Uh, they're they're getting their their paperwork, and then from there we're gonna see like if I can fly them to Mexico or like some somewhere and then go there. Um, I try to figure it out the way get a visa to to bring them here, so they can finally watch me pitch next year. Diana, do you have any idea what that moment will be like oh when my you gosh. finally get a meet My mind is going a mile a minute. <laughs> like we're all going to be a hot mess crying, you know, because it's just, we've been waiting for this, you know, since I've met him because we communicate through FaceTime all the time, but obviously it's not the same. So I know that when that moment comes, like, ugh, I'm going to be a hot mess. <laughs> Your family from Mexico, you grew up in Arizona though. How much does the similarities in your heritage really help you guys grow as a couple? I think it really helped us a lot because uh, we're kind of similar like, in, in the cultures, like the way that we eat. The only difference, to be honest, is that they they need everything to be a spicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, back home, we don't really like use a spicy on, on our food, so that's the only thing that sometimes I'm, I make sure it's, it's not too, too spicy for me. <laughs> Elise Meneker and Lance Brozdowski back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, revealing our final draft picks, if we will, in our minor league draft for the topics that he and I are kind of revealing to each other and surprising each other with having some fun with all the storylines that we have seen throughout this season. So Lance, my final topic, Let me hear it. Uh, the success of all of the players who started in the minors. You can't ignore all the guys that we see right it. now uh, with the Cubs. So specifically, I think of, because anytime I was covering the Iowa Cubs, you just think about not only did the Cubs roster change, but the Iowa Cubs roster change because a lot of those guys obviously got called up. So you have uh, also, let's keep in mind, Frank Schwindel. He started the year in AAA, maybe not in the Cubs organization as he came over from the A's, signed as a free agent, but um, someone who obviously now is, I think, one of the most fun players to watch in baseball. Patrick Wisdom, Rafael Ortega, Sergio Alcantara. Um, these are all guys who are at the top of the I-Cubs lineup at the start of the year that Marty Peavy said if he could have his ideal lineup those guys are in it uh yeah. and so you just see now then what the cubs are getting and on top of that we haven't even touched on say pitching like uh adrian sampson michael rucker um just all of these guys who have gotten called up and i think it's been really fun to watch for that reason alfonso rivas michael hermosillo before he got hurt so just a lot we talk about the pitching prospects and where that could go i think that there's still a lot that we haven't seen from some of the top prospects who have gotten called up or even just guys like a rookie Patrick Wisdom and what he's been able to do. Um, and I think 
specifically Schwindel, Wisdom, and Ortega are three guys that you could see on the Cubs in the future as we try to see what this roster will look like. Absolutely. Now, mine ties to Swindell's wisdom, actually, too, but I want to ask you a question. Is there anyone that you saw the Iowa Cubs that you were surprised didn't get a shot at the Major League team that you think might um, That's year? a really good question. So I feel like, for the most part, everyone who I thought at some point could get a chance did. Mm-hmm. I think the only name down there that you'll see consistently in the lineup is Abiatal Avellino, and yeah. I just think that there – were he's a shortstop he can play shortstop there mainly is what he like he can move around but has mm-hmm. mainly been at shortstop for Iowa and I think just that it's about he's been consistent at the plate for Iowa and I think it's just about finding that consistency in the field as well and bringing that every day um but overall the two players who I was most excited to see at the major league level were Michael Hermosillo and Alfonso Reed. Fortunately, Hermosillo got hurt, but I really like what we're seeing out of Rivas when he gets his chances, because I think it could be um, good stuff in there. It's not going to be like you're going to get a ton of home runs out of him every season, but I think you could get a really consistent, good player. Yeah, there's a chance that we end up with a DH next year, too. And I know that Booms mentioned this on the broadcast a couple of times is like who moves to DH and who does that open up a spot for? So, yeah, I mean, that could be a rotating piece the entire season where it's like a have to it's like a, I don't know like a plane ticket to Iowa where they keep bringing people up and seeing who pops and maybe you get another Schwindel wisdom I, I'm very interested to see that for sure yeah so I I just think it's been fun to see I feel like that's mm-hmm. just the best word a simple word but the best word that I can come up with as you've seen how these guys games have transferred at the absolutely always the question yeah uh, my last one here is uh, is literally almost directly tied to Schwindel wisdom but okay. it's, it's calling it the balance of contact and power so I love it. I, th- I think Schwindel and Wisdom are fascinating players, particularly because they're both very different hitters. Um, Wisdom is like your classic three-true outcome guy. Doesn't really walk too much, high K rate, but absolutely mashes, like yeah. huge max <laughs> exit velocity. All the average exit velocity things pop on him. He barrels a ton of balls. Like he hits ball really hard and far. Like he broke the rookie home run record for the Cubs. There's, there's obvious that it's translated. And then you look at Schwindel, although we kind of combine them as like, these are the guys that pop like the way they swing in particular and approach the ball is very different. Like yeah. if you look in going back to my point about like this idea of like, we're seeing just a ton more high rise forcing fastballs. Like we saw Joe Ryan a couple of times in the last two weeks, the Cubs fans have like, he's a modern pitcher. He throws this crazy fastball up in the zone and Schwindel had an incredible home run off him, which I don't think anyone else on the Cubs would have been able to hit off him because it's a high rise vertic- vertical movement, yeah. forcing fastball up and inside and, Swindell is an incredibly flat swing plane. He reaches what you call almost parallel to the ground earlier in his swing and is able to maintain it through contact such that you're able to get on top of those fastballs up in the zone. And wisdom doesn't do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Again, there's multiple paths towards success. But the way they produce what they produce, which has been honestly comparable value this year, aside because like the amount of home runs translates obviously to a ton of war, but just the amount of contact and approach that Swindell has equates at the end of the day to a similarly valued player, I think, especially going forward, at least. Um, They're very different players. And I'm interested in whether the Cubs have something in terms of wanting diversity. Like I know that Hoyer and some other individuals have Mm -hmm. talked about wanting players who do different things. And I think that that comes down to almost balancing these two points of contact and power. And I say this because next year I was doing a little bit of research and there's a chance that the Cubs have three players inside the 70th percentile. So 30% of baseball 
will be better than them, which is a small percent. 70% percentile is very good uh, in terms of like how good they are at this individual trait. And it's in zone contact. So balls in the zone that they make contact with about 90%, three guys, which is really good. Nick Madrigal, Nico Horner, and Frank Schwindel could be three guys next year that are in this window where they're making a ton of contact on pitches in the zone. So this lends to the contact approach where like Madrigal is like the best in baseball at this. He's like 99th percentile. There's essentially no one better. Horner's right in that window as well. And Schwindel's right in that window. And these three guys are able to combat those modern pitchers better, I think, than a wisdom would. But there's an admission that you can't make an entire lineup off contact guys. So you right. have to supplement it with some power because you combine Horner, Madrigal, and Schwindel, maybe that's 30 home runs. And I think 25 of them might come from Schwindel. And there's yeah. nothing, again, nothing <laughs> wrong with sure. that. It's just you need to supplement it with slug. Lou always mentioned this on the, on the broadcast. There's no slug on the ground. And, and he's right. But I also agree with the idea that you have to balance the futures of the wisdoms. Like, how do you get there? And I do think they're a little bit lower in the minor league system. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a difficulty for the organization as a whole to kind of supplement the major league roster that's going to have these three huge contact guys with power. The guys that jump out to me are Alexander Canario, who came over from the Giants. Huge power. Yeah. I don't think many people think that he's going to, excuse me, correct too much of the swing and miss in his game just because of how he swings and because you need to sell out to some extent for that power unless you're an elite elite player, which again, he has a probability to become one. But right now I think it's more likely that he ends up like a 30 plus home run guy in the more Joey Galloway territory. So he's a guy you could supplement with the team, but he's also probably a couple years off. Chris Morrell is the other one that kind of jumps out to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Where he's really twitchy, huge max exit velocity, really aggressive swinger. And I, I just don't think I see him based on who he is as a person, his personality, he's like a very aggressive player. And I don't think I see that backing off. And that's okay, because I think that that'd be great for him to lay into it. And he's up at AAA. I think he's played a couple games finishing out the season yeah, here. Exactly. Um, so he's got a shot, I think, to debut next year as well. But we'll see exactly what they want to do with his timeline. But other than that, it's kind of – I'm kind of wondering, like, a lot of the guys – again, the power side of this is such low in the minor leagues that there's – it seems likely to me there's someone at AA or above that might pop on the power side that we're not maybe thinking of. That I came up with one name that I don't think okay. many people see on prospect lists that some of those metrics love in terms of what you calculate on bat speed, which is something we don't really get on the public side, but you can calculate it based on looking at exit velocity and a variety of other things. This is Nelson Velasquez. Mm -hmm. um, he's kind of been incredible. The production has been incredible. He's like a 340 OBP guy with like a 290 average this year. He finished up, he made a jump from high to double A and performed better at double A than he did at high A. He just hits like, there's nothing else to say about it, but he gets pushed down on prospect. Really great defender. Um, it's probably a corner outfield spot. You put your weaker outfielder in left field. So maybe there's a little bit of platoon risk, but he mimics a lot of what when I almost called it like wind. Wisdom, wisdom. Wisdom. That's what it was off the mound. You haven't. That's off the mound. Yeah. I almost called it. I almost called it Windell. That doesn't make any sense, but. Um, but yeah, no, I think that he has a chance to be this guy who just hits through the minor leagues that no one ever puts in a top 20 because there's no outfield, like there's no role for him as a runner or a defender. So in order for that player to be really good, you have to have like really high percentile outcome in terms of what they do offensively. But I really think that he's a guy that just, you're going to like, how is he not on a top 25? Like he hits the ball really hard. He's batting 280 in the major leagues and he has 25 home runs and it's out of nowhere. No one knows where it came from. So he's kind of my pick to maybe supplement the major league team. Maybe, I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen next year, 
But I guess if he progresses really well and they want to start him at double A AA to triple A, maybe there's a chance he jumps two levels. But he's more of like a 2023 guy to me, I think, in terms of the timeline. But I, I think there's something that's going to pop in the double A or above level to supplement the major league team on the contact side is essentially my idea. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's Morel. Maybe it's Nelson Velasquez. But I'm fascinated by this idea of the Cubs injecting the major league team with three guys who just hit everything in the zone. And it's, it's an yeah. oddity. I don't think there's many other teams that have it. Um, so, and if they do, it's like a Juan Soto where it's like, okay, you got the best player in baseball. Congrats. You know? Right. So, no, I, you, bank on you can't really bank on getting a Cunha or a Soto as a, as a player development organization. I think I, I like it because just like you're talking about with the excitement factor. So you talk about the strikeout rate, say with wisdom, but I also yeah. think the excitement factor with him is you don't know the next time he's going to hit a home run. So that's exactly. kind of like yeah. the, been the fun part watching him this season with Schwindel. It's just, I, he's a hitting machine. Yeah. Uh, he will get one or two hits a game. It seems like almost guaranteed. It's, it's, yeah. it's amazing in baseball when you are surprised when someone doesn't get a hit as opposed to when they do. And that's really what it's like watching Schwindel. Um, So that's also been a lot of fun. And I think that he's played his way into somehow um, staying at the major league level next season. And like you're saying, probably with the Cubs or depending how things move forward. And then with the contact stuff and the power um, stuff, when you complement that in a lineup, I think about how I feel like power is something that comes especially to hitters. So when you look at the minor league level, just because someone isn't putting up the power numbers that you would expect, because that's how they've been either drafted or scouted. It doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean they're falling short. I think a lot of the times as they go from level to level, it's at first about making the adjustment to the pitching at the higher level. And it's about developing your approach so that you can be consistent. And then once you've done that, those power numbers come along with it. So I think you get glimpses. And I even was with um, Canario, like you wrote that down. So he had nine home runs this season and had um, that many uh, previously when he had 65 games in the Giants organization um, where he had 42, was it with in the Cubs organization with South Bend? Yeah, 42 games. Mm -hmm. So about, so you're getting like glimpses of things like that from players and, I think that's why when I look at power, I look more who's around like available at the major league level, as opposed to who are we bringing up? Who's going to supply power to our lineup. Um, But it doesn't mean it's not there and it's not possible. I think that's probably why you were looking and and seeing who is in the system, that guy, because a lot of times it doesn't pop at the minor league level, because if it does, he's probably going to go up pretty quickly, or at least go up from level to level pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have that in the inverse, too, where you have a lot of guys in the minor leagues who are huge power bats where they just get written off because they're striking out too much. And it's like, True. maybe they change yeah. the approach and have a better understanding of the zone. And it's like, I think, like, one of the most underrated sides of the game is, like, the mental side, like, the approach side. I, talk I about totally this agree with that. With, I've talked about really good conversations with Max Bain. We mentioned earlier, me, him and I talked through this. And from a pitcher perspective, it's very different than a hitter perspective. But, like, it, like these kids are young. Some of these guys are really yeah. young. And it's like some people just don't mentally mature and start to click with things until they're 26, 27, 28. And it's like, I get that that is less attractive to an organization because maybe you have less years of control or like those control years run into later period of time, but it doesn't mean they can't be productive. And it's like, I do think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in the Schwindels of the world, or maybe they're just they click a little bit later, you know? And it's like, I think that that's a testament to pro scouting and the teams that pro scout better 
Although teams that end up with the Schwindels and the Cubs did. So if they can do that consistently and pick up another guy or two who gets, you know, non-tendered or something like that, and they could turn him into a wisdom or Schwindel, I wouldn't be shocked in that angle either. That's another wrinkle, I guess. Maybe it comes from outside the organization. Maybe it's someone. Yeah, that's kind of what I think of. Spring, spring invite, active. you know what I mean? Yep. Quad A player. Yeah. I'll even throw in there then to a name that we haven't mentioned, Greg Dykeman. Who's oh, yeah, one of the top prospects they picked up in a trade? I think he's got a really nice swing. Mm-hmm. And just when you talk about that mental side and the development being a little bit slower, I really like his tools and what he sure. has. I think it's a matter of them coming together, but I think the potential is there. And that could be someone where maybe it's just taking a little bit longer for that to happen. He's 26 years old now, so still young, but you're kind of entering into that where you're getting into your late 20s age as you just look ahead yep. at things. So um, that's just a name too. I think that's interesting if, if you want to throw that into the I mix. love it. I like the other piece they got that. That's going to end up, I think, being one of the under the radar trades. Like we love Chafin here and he's great. Yeah. Yeah. He's also like a, a reliever, you know, and you get two prospects for a reliever. It's kind of nuts. And I mean, yeah. well, again, elite closer, a little bit different than Chafin, but I don't even think Chafin's being used in a, le- a huge leverage role with the A's. I could be wrong on that, but they're not even going to get in the playoffs. Um, like that, I think that's going to end up being one of the better trades from this, this, uh, this draft, so to speak, you know, or draft, excuse me, the deadline. Yeah. Our draft. They're all in our draft. (laughs) 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 But I I feel like we kind of covered it all in our draft, which I'm glad we did because I think between the two of us and the points that we made or the topics, the players we hit on, I feel like this was a good synopsis of what we saw down uh, in the Cubs organization or throughout it. And I, I hope that it shows that there's a lot to look forward to as well. So as much uncertainty as there may be, I think there's still a lot of promise with a lot of players. And I know that they're probably excited to show that uh, in the coming years. And get a regular off season too. I think that's huge. Yeah. Good point. Right. For a lot of these younger players Uh, and and a regular off season for us too, the last couple of years. Sports (laughs) network. Um, But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks so much for listening.